Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. My microphone. That was silly. All right, yeah, you guys can be seated. Kiddos, if you want to skedaddle and you're in fifth grade or under, you're more than welcome to scoot off to Children's Church. The rest of you, I'm afraid you're stuck with me. Unless you're supposed to be teaching that class, then please go. Yeah, just let him have that. Yeah, that'd be interesting is a polite word for that, whatever that would be. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for being able to be together in your church, for the blessing of fellowship and community, for the love you pour out on us each and every day. We thank you that you give us stability and strength. Pray that you'd give me your words to speak this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So, heck of a passage this morning, huh? But hey, we're going to read the whole book. That's what we agreed. That's what we set out to do. Uh, and so we're not skipping over stuff just because it's, it's a little... Uh, yeah. Just because it's a little uncomfortable. We're not going to skip over it. But there's a lot of joy in what happened. I'm not going to mask the fact that there was violence, but God provided victory for his people. And if you guys remember from last week, what was set to be in the original edict before Esther talked to the king, gave him the puppy dog eyes, said, pretty please, it was going to be genocide for the Jews. They were going to be wiped out by anybody who didn't like them and had an excuse to commit violence against them. And the edict wasn't that they were allowed to run around and rampage and kill anybody that they wanted and do whatever they wanted forever. It was just for the one day where they were supposed to be slaughtered. So they got the right to defend themselves, and this passage shows the victory that they were able to have over the people who were attacking them, over the people who were going to be killing them. And Esther asked for one more day, just in case anybody else decided to hold a grudge and come after him, or they forgot to check their calendar that morning. Thank you, thank you. I'm glad, I'm glad somebody thought that was funny. Don't worry, you weren't the only one laughing. I heard one more chuckle. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was Amanda. I remember when I was younger, I, I always heard people say, violence isn't the answer, it's never the answer. That's something you hear people throw out there, right? Because we don't want people just going out and doing whatever they please. We don't want people running around. We don't want people fighting or causing disturbances, right? 
And we teach little kids, you know, if somebody takes your toy, you don't just smack them across the face. That's not the appropriate response, right? This is something a little bit bigger than that, though, right? The alternative, yeah, yeah, the alternative here was the death and destruction of God's chosen people. And so they were given the opportunity to stand up and fight the ones who were going to kill them. Another thing that kind of comes to mind, looking at this picture, and not that we should use it in a violent manner, but the Bible is described as the sword of the Spirit, right? And it's the only thing in the armor of God that is an offensive weapon. Everything else is armor. Everything else is to protect you from harm. And the sword of the Spirit is the only thing that we are armed with to attack. Now, it's not to attack people in our lives. It's not to take verses out of context and say, ha, I bet that stings. It is against Satan and the lies that he throws our way. We are given the opportunity to stand up against Satan. We are given that strength. That's why I pulled that video from this morning about the song Run, Devil, Run. I thought about watching the music video because that sounds hilarious and awesome. Uh, if you were paying attention to the little video, he described it as a Smokey and the Bandit-like car chase that then turns into one of those... Um, big fan boat things in a swamp and still chasing. Uh, and it just, that sounds like fun. Sounds like something you'd see in, I don't know. What, what's that one James Bond movie that's down south? Yeah. Yeah, Live and Let Die. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you. I'm glad he knew what I was going for. It kind of has those vibes. But it's not James Bond. I don't have to kill some bad guy. It's talking about the fight that we have with Satan each and every day in our lives. It's not senseless violence just for the sake of, of entertainment and filling up a movie theater. It's talking about the spiritual struggles that we face each and every day. And how we are given the power through God to stand up against the devil. That's pretty intense. It's good stuff. Aren't we blessed to have the Lord of Lords looking over us and protecting us like that? In a similar way, God's people in this passage were able to defend themselves against their enemies. Boy, oh boy, the new projector's coming tomorrow. I gotta say, I'm excited. Because that was way easier to read on my computer this morning. It says, he said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. I've been going through the story of Christ's crucifixion with the kids on Wednesday nights. And this was a circumstance that always stuck out to me. God was telling his disciples, Jesus, shortly before he was crucified, to make sure they could defend themselves. Now, it wasn't that everyone should have a sword. 
there were, I think, three swords in the group, and Jesus said, that's plenty. He wasn't saying everybody needs to be out there with swords. And he's not saying that today. And he's not saying that in this passage. But there are opportunities where it's appropriate to defend oneself. And this passage from this morning was one of them. But that's not God's general rule of thumb. Jesus tells us that we need to turn the other cheek, and that's what this passage says. If you want to follow along and, and read it in a way that you can actually read it, it's Matthew 5, 38, uh, if you want to flip along. I apologize. I might have to, I might have to break into my laptop sometime between services uh, and make that more legible. But it says, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek and hand over... Oh, sorry, skipped a line. Yeah, see, it's hard to read. Uh, and if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Here Jesus is saying, if someone is doing you wrong, you don't need to retaliate. You need to show love. Now here in this circumstance, it's not life and death, right? He's talking about being sued. He's talking about being wronged in a more minor way. versus the passage from this morning. But there's a balance here that we need to find. It's not saying, oh man, if I have enemies, I have a right one day a year to go out and just slay them all. That's, that would not be okay, right? However, on the flip side, there are some circumstances where it's okay to defend yourself. And we got to find that balance. So I don't want this scripture to seem like God's just saying, yeah, if you have an enemy, just go out and just give it to him. Because that's not what this is about. But on the flip side, he does show that there are circumstances where it's okay to stick up for yourself, to defend yourself. And I would encourage you, if you find yourself in a place where you do need to defend yourself, try and defend yourself with the word of the Lord the sword of the Spirit. My last little quip to this, violence is never the answer, is this. How are we given grace and mercy? It's through Christ's sacrifice. His sacrifice was the epitome of violence. Now, it wasn't violence against others. It was violence against Christ. He took that punishment for us, that grisly, gruesome death. Now, he could have fought against those enemies. He could have very easily summoned a legion of angels and just wiped out the Romans and not had to worry about being crucified, because if you ask me, being crucified does not sound like fun. 
He could have stopped that from happening. He could have lashed out. He could have retaliated. But he chose not to because of his love for us. So God provided victory for his people by destroying their enemies. Now today, we in the United States do not face violent oppression for our faith, which is a blessing. That's why we're able to be here today in such an open format and stream online, right? We have that freedom, that privilege. That's a blessing. And I don't want you to take that lightly. In this circumstance, God delivered his people by destroying their enemies. But when they did it, they didn't do it in the way that the people of the world would have done it. They were given the opportunity in the edict to plunder, to steal their things after they killed the people. But they chose not to. In chapter 9, what we read this morning, it also shows us that there was respect of the people given to Mordecai. In verse 4, it said that Mordecai was prominent in the palace and his reputation had spread throughout the provinces. And he became more and more powerful. His name, his fame was spreading. Respect for Mordecai was growing. Fear of Mordecai was growing. And what's interesting about the fact that people were fearing Mordecai is Mordecai hadn't done anything violent. The only thing that he did was he declared the edict that the Jews could defend themselves on that one day. He was the one who was given permission to write that. Remember, the king gave him the signet ring, and he got to stamp that. That was the only thing Mordecai had done. It's not like he was leading a military campaign. Yet people were beginning to fear him. And I suspect, and I read this in a couple commentaries as well, that this might have to do not with Mordecai, but with who? Lord. Ever heard of the fear of the Lord? He was acting in a way that was representing God's people, in a way that was protecting God's people. And I suspect that the fear of the Lord was starting to spread. In fact, it says that a lot of people had become afraid of the Jews and that some people were even converting into Jews. which would further boost the idea that maybe it wasn't really the fear of Mordecai, but the fear of God and his strength that was spreading. And with that fear came respect. Mordecai's name became more prominent. He became a stronger political figure. What's interesting, though, is Haman, on the other hand, was not respected in that same way. If you go back to chapter 3, when Haman is given some of that power and he's putting stuff out there and he's trying to make this edict against the Jews, 
and when Mordecai doesn't bow down to him. In chapter 3, verse 2, it says that all the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. It wasn't because people were respecting Haman. It wasn't because people were fearing Haman. It wasn't because people saw Haman and thought, oh, wow, that Haman guy, he's so great. He's so powerful. We ought to bow down to him. The king had it written in a commandment. Unlike with Mordecai, where his name was growing and expanding. There was respect that had spread for God's people and the strength of God. The word respect always makes me think of that song, right? R-E-S-P-E. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's okay, though. She, she just said, but that song is so old. Yeah, that's okay. it, it's before my time. I, I will admit that. But it's good stuff. It's classic. And there's a reason it's a classic. Oh. Yeah, 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 me. I'm old. It's a classic. There is power behind the word respect and a funky beat. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what it means to me, right? Just a little bit. <laughs> I, I, I can't repeat that. Dancing's not allowed in the bylaws. So, respect has significance. It has meaning. There's a reason we're called to respect one another, to love one another. In fact, Jesus' greatest commandment was to love our neighbors as ourselves. Well, the second great, they, it was kind of like a twofer. So, but yeah, anyway. One of the greatest commandments, how about that, was to love our neighbors as ourselves. The only thing that's below is loving God above everything else. We've got to share that respect for one another. And that respect for the Jews was spreading. And because of the way they were conducting themselves, that was even spreading more. Instead of taking the opportunity the king had given them to steal and to plunder, they didn't. On either of the days, on the first day when the original edict had said, you know, you can defend yourselves on this day from your enemies. But on the next day when it was extended, they also didn't steal the plunder. They didn't even steal the plunder from Haman's sons. They weren't running around stealing things. That is pretty significant. There's a reason that it's noted. Because that was two different things. One, that was pretty uncommon. It was, it was pretty routine when you were out killing your enemies that you would take their stuff. That was a part of the sign that you had conquered your enemies and you could show off your strength and be like, hey, whoa, look at all this cool stuff that I've got from my enemy because I'm powerful and I killed them. Look at me. Whoa, I'm the best. 
The other thing was there was a time where Saul was told to go out and defeat a certain group called the Amalekites. And he was told not to touch any of their things. And he didn't steal their personal possessions for the most part, but he stole some of their livestock and said, oh, this is for a sacrifice for God. Well, God was not pleased with that because Saul did not follow the instructions. And if you look at the line of the Amalekites, that is ultimately where Mr. Haman ended up coming from. He was referred to as being a, uh, yes, an, an Agagite. And the Agagites, King Agag, A-G-A-G, was an Amalekite. And so Agagites came from King Agag, yeah, him. A-G-A-G, weird name. I'm glad my mom did not name me Agag. So he was a descendant from these people, and Saul's great sin concerning those people was that he had stolen their plunder. This shows that they had grown in that respect, that they weren't going to make that same mistake, which is impressive if you look through the Old Testament. We see the Jews making similar mistakes over and over again quite a lot. But in this regard, they were being holy. They were setting a positive example. God provided a victory for his people in building respect and fear of them. He protected them by destroying their enemies, and then he further protected them and gave them victory by giving them both fear and respect in the land. Now remember, they still weren't home. They still weren't at their temple with their own king, hanging out in Jerusalem, doing their thing. They still had Xerxes, but they had more respect. They probably felt safer and slept better at night. Things got better. There we are. My last point is that for us, we are not Jews living under the reign of King Xerxes who are thankful that Esther had stepped up and asked the king to intervene for her people. We live in a very different situation under a whole different covenant from the New Testament. But we have victory in Jesus. There's even an old hymn all about it. It might be in the worship list for next week. Victory in Jesus. It's something we all have access to. And I have a question for you guys. And this, this one can be a rhetorical question, but it doesn't have to be because it's on your connect cards. Whoa, how about that? If you look on the back of your connect card, there's three little bullet points. And one of them has a question to the tune of what does victory in Jesus look like for you?
Where has God given you victory? Where is God working on giving you victory? We all struggle with different things. We all have personal areas where we need victory and deliverance. Because you know what? Nobody in this room is perfect. Nobody. We all make mistakes. We all have areas of our life where we are prone to sin. And it could be any number of different things. It could be gossip, wanting to share some juicy news that you heard about your friends or relatives. Even though it might not be 100% confirmed as true, or it might not be something that would be beneficial to share with others. It could be lust. Where you go on the internet, or what you think of when you see some beautiful woman or hunky dude walking down the street. Where your mind goes with that. Could be anger. You might stub your toe and say bad words. Or when someone in your family who you love dearly does something that mildly inconveniences you, you just fly off the handle. There's, I, I could go on. I could list all kinds of different examples. We all struggle in different ways. But there can be victory. There can be triumph. There can be deliverance from those things. It might take time. It might not be easy. But there can be deliverance. And we can have that victory in Jesus. He gives us that hope and that opportunity. And he gives us the ultimate victory over sin. Because he took on all of our sins at the cross. Died for us. And then rose again. The wages of sin is death, right? So when Jesus died, he paid those wages. The sin is taken care of. It's wiped clean. So long as you put your faith in him and you step out, you ask for that deliverance, you will be granted that victory in a similar way to when Esther stepped forward to the king. We can step forward to the king of kings and ask for deliverance not from our enemies, but from our sin, from ourselves, right? I don't know about you guys, but the sins that I commit, they're my fault, right? It's the, it's the broken things in my heart and in my noggin that make me act selfishly, that make me do things that I know I shouldn't do. But bringing myself before the Lord, he is gracious and just to forgive. And that extends to all of us. Now, when we take that step, we're then given the opportunity to share that deliverance. Maybe you've already been delivered. Maybe you had a huge struggle in your life. I'm going to use Chuck Mitchell as an example. He is a faithful servant and a regular attendee here at Greenfield Baptist Church. And he just shared with us a couple weeks ago 
that he has been sober for, I believe, 17 years now. That's incredible. Being able to give up addiction and walk away and be clean and to be able to rejoice in your Savior and to be able to say, hey, you know what God did in my life? When I was broken and filled with addiction, he delivered me. How beautiful and powerful is that? And the thing about sharing your story is that's sharing your heart. That's sharing where you've come from. It's sharing what God has done in your life. And it shows people that God is still at work today. A lot of people who aren't believers or who aren't really sure about church, they think to themselves, well, that's just an old book. That's not relevant anymore. All those people have been dead for a couple thousand years and, you know, we got science now, whatever that means. If we share our stories and what God has done in our life, they can't deny that. Now, they might shrug it off as coincidence or self-discipline or any number of other things, but at the end of the day, they can't deny what God has done in your life. He wants you to share your story of deliverance, of victory. And if you're still walking through it, if there's still things you don't have victory over yet, that's okay. Take it one step at a time. And that's what church is about. Dan has been promoting for years now this hospital model, right? Well, if you have it all together and you're all figured out and you're perfectly healthy and there's absolutely nothing wrong with you, you wouldn't be in a hospital, right? Right? Unless you're a doctor, yeah. Well, the only doctor at this hospital is the great physician. We all have stuff to work on. We're all a work in progress. And that is what church is for. So don't be ashamed if your story still has some things that need to be worked out. You can still share it. You can share what God is doing in your life today. We have victory in Jesus. I put this picture up there because I went to a Seawolves game yesterday with my girlfriend and her parents. And my girlfriend kind of elbowed me a little bit because the Seawolves were up, I want to say it was 6 nothing, And we were several innings in at this point. And she was like, so have you guys won a game yet? <laughs> and I was like, no. But that's not the point. At the end of the day, the softball team is not about going out there and winning. Because even if we did win every single game, at the end of the day, at best, we would get a little trophy to put in the trophy case that nobody has looked at that's back there. Um, at least I think it's still back there, right? It has been moved, has disappeared on me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's not the point of the softball team. And I have seen people sharing their stories 
each and every game. Because after each game, if you haven't been to one, we don't win a whole lot, but it's good fun. And at the end of the game, someone from whoever is the designated home team, because we have the nicest field, so oftentimes we have games that aren't home games but are at the home field because they don't want to play at other places. Um, so whoever the home team is will give a devotion at the end. And I've gotten to hear devotions from guys who I don't know all that well on the softball team. And it's awesome to hear those people step out in faith and share their story, share their victory. Because at the end of the day, that is the true victories we have on our softball team. Partially because we're owing whatever. But partially because that's the whole point of a church softball league. It's not about going out there and winning games, sending people to the minor leagues. It's about fellowship. It's about sharing joy with one another. God provides victory today through Jesus. If you don't know that victory, I always stand up here in the front during the last song. And that is so that if somebody wants to come and pray, or share something with me, or wants to know about accepting the Lord into their life, that they have that opportunity right now in this moment. But if you're like, that's embarrassing, that's weird, I'm not going to walk in front of 100 people and the, the little live feed camera on Sunday morning, that's super awkward. There's also these really cool things. They're a marbled purple and white today. They're inside your bulletin, and it's called a Connect card. And on it, there's a little box that you can check for, I want more information about different things, baptism, church membership, accepting the Lord. So you don't even have to come up here in front of everybody while we're singing songs and standing up and be embarrassed. You can, on the, on the down low, real discreetly, write it on your Connect card, and you don't even have to put it in the offering plate if you're worried about that. We have a box back there in the narthex, uh, and if you haven't been around this church long enough to figure out the narthex is the lobby thing behind the sanctuary, when I first came here and heard that word, I had no idea what it meant. I'd never heard that word in my life and did not understand what a narthex was. So if you're in that boat, it's the lobby thing behind the sanctuary. But there's a box back there for connect cards, and there's one uh, by the double doors as well. So you can just kind of take that and you can sneak it over to the box and just discreetly drop it off while nobody's looking. So there's options. But I'm going to stay up here while we play the last song after I pray. And if you haven't accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and you want to know what that's about and you don't mind standing in front of people because you're just excited, come on up. Or if you just want to pray, come on up. Or if you want to say, Brentley, that was your worst sermon ever, come on up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thanks, Glenn. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, all right, so let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the victory that you give each and every one of us whether it's in the small things or the big things, whether it's deliverance from sin 
itself and into the arms of the Father, or whether it's just deliverance from a a small bad habit, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you deliver us, that you care for your people, and that you want to protect us. I pray that you would encourage us to go out and share our story, even if we're still a work in progress, which we all are. I pray that you would help us to seek you more and more each and every day. Amen.